0: And now, rate that album, season three, with Paul Muadib and Joe Freming. Two guys who know stuff. Hi, and welcome back to
1: Rate That Album. Back and forth album review between myself, Joseph Freming, and my good friend Paul Muadib. Paul, fire up the crack, boys! <laughs> cinch up my diaper. Turn the TV on.
0: <laughs> Give me a blowjob before I'm on the nod. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So this week, I decided to hop in the way back machine and visit the first solo album by uh, a guy who has a law stands tall in music history, but like is not really recognized. And that is Mark Lanigan. Uh, frontman for the streaming, Screaming Trees. Uh, uh, Guy has had an interesting career and an interesting life. Uh, he, he's recorded albums with uh, Greg Dully from the Afghan Wigs, uh, Isabel Campbell from Bell and Sebastian. He was uh, one of the singers for Queens of the Stone Age. He did an out. did a song with Moby and Chris Christopherson. <laughs>
0: uh, I I need that in my
1: life. <laughs> uh, and uh, he was also one of uh, Kurt Cobain's uh, closest friends. Uh, to the and we'll get into that that little bit later because the album we're reviewing does feature Mister Cobain on it. We're talking the Winding Sheet by Mark Lanigan. 1990 so paul let's get your initial thoughts on this
0: um so i I, you know and i apologize i I hope the echo is not coming through too much i'm not sure where that's coming from but um um i knew a little bit about mark um here and there like i didn't know as much like you know when he died i read all these articles and i was like i didn't know he did that i didn't know he did that i didn't know he did that i didn't know he was a part of that um so i didn't realize just how big his shadow was uh until much later um do you want my initial thoughts on the album or just on him (laughs) well let's let's do both paul let's let's we can do two things we can do
1: all
0: right fair (laughs) enough so um this is not a lot of respect for mark this is not like the my favorite thing that we've heard that we've done on this on this show not that i dislike it um but there is a lot of flaws on it um in terms of production but at the same time when i look at when it was done and like how everyone took a lot of stuff from it um, you realize that it's much more brilliant than it sounds, and I—I I don't know if that makes sense to the audience. It, it, yeah, if you've heard this album, it's—it's it's very simplistic. Uh, it's,
1: and I, that's by design. Um, we'll talk about how he recorded this, but it—it's you know a lot of the complaints is because uh, it's not uh, doesn't feel fully formed, but formed enough. Where where it shines, it shines. Where it doesn't, it's just (laughs) kind of, eh. But there's Mm -hmm. so much DNA in this album. That's kind of why I picked it.
0: Yeah, it's very much, that's a great way of putting it. It's a DNA album. Yeah, it's a DNA,
1: I think, for his songwriting. We talked a little bit before we started recording, like how much more interesting his uh, other projects seem to be compared to this. This is, you know, a guy in his early 20s, uh, Doing a solo album, we really had no <laughs> like nobody knew because yeah. You know, so again, a little bit of a story. He's the frontman for a band called Screaming Trees, out of some podunk town in Washington. Uh, he sees this as his way to get out of his bad situation. You know, he's a drug addict and alcoholic. You know, most of his teen years, and when by the time he starts with this band, he's sobered up. And they kind of start getting this cult following. They sign on to, well, they don't really sign on, because SST Records is pretty much come as you come and go as you please. And uh, I think we could do a whole podcast on the shit show that is SST Records, Paul. Oh, God, yeah. Greg Ginn from Black Flag, uh, infamous for kind of screwing over a lot of bands. Uh, you'll never find Bob Mould. Saying a kind word about mm-hmm. Greg Ginn, considering he's hijacked uh, the Hoosker Doo albums that they recorded mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah, so but they re- they signed on that, and it's just kind of like you know, they're just a struggling band, but it was coming up in this Washington scene where all these other bands are kind of like doing the same thing, like they're raised on both you know they're coming of age with both punk rock. But like classic rock bands, like you know Led Zeppelin, so there's like this weird DNA in all these bands and of these bands coming out of Seattle. You have Green River, Mother Love Bone, which would eventually morph into you know Pearl Jam and your Alice in Chains. Uh, you got a band uh, out of Olympia. You got two bands out of Olympia. You got the Melvins and you got Nirvana. It was just kind of like this melting pot. And Screaming Trees were kind of like the first wave coming out where they are just they're starting to make out make an impact but like Lanigan hated everything they did <laughs> uh he didn't write the songs that should be noted like early screaming trees he wasn't the songwriter was it the guitarist uh which frustrated him to all to hell by the time 1990 rolls along sub pop offers him uh an offer to do a solo album based off of uh, recordings that Lanigan did with Kurt Cobain, which was going to be a Lead Belly tribute album. Oh, crazy. Yeah, Lead Belly, old blues guy, you know. That's another fascinating story we could probably do a whole podcast on. (laughs) But uh, basically the germ of this started with Cobain and Lanigan recording a couple of, a few Lead Belly covers, but just didn't come to anything besides... Well, it on this album with with Where Did You Sleep Last Night, which is the same arrangement Nirvana would use on their Unplugged
0: album.
1: Uh, A few other recordings survived that. I think that's on the With the Lights Out box set. Nirvana released in like 2002, 2003. But that's really where this kind of starts because Lannigan was so uh, flustered because he hated all the Screaming Trees song. He thought the songs were embarrassing. Uh. He really didn't like anybody else in the band. It was just more like, they're there. It was a group effort just to get the hell out of their podunk town. (laughs) And as soon as he got his opportunity to do things outside of that, he would really grasp onto it. So we get to the winding sheet. Uh, So Pop offers him uh, $13,000 to make a solo album. And he laughs because he... In his mind, he's like, I can make an album for $3,000 in his pocket, the 10.
0: Which he did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs> yes. uh, he, going into this project, though, he realized he had never really written songs. He was always just the vocalist. So he, by <laughs> reading his book, his memoir, uh, he decided to buy a piece of shit acoustic guitar and just start trying to write, figure out how to write songs, which is why a lot of this seems very simplistic. Because it's a guy trying to figure it out mm-hmm. and recording it at the same time. Uh, <laughs> he records the album with, you know, a few guys. Uh, Cobain shows up and does uh, vocals on uh, do, 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 "What Was It do, 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 Down in the Dark. Uh, it's a very sparse album, but, like, he was also super... Well, the other guys in Screaming Trees were inspired by uh, 60s Garage Rock. Lanigan was more like drawn to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Nick Drake,
0: like singer-songwriter type shit.
1: And <laughs> it starts to show.
0: <laughs> real, real quick, I just want to say, because you know, I don't think Nick Cave gets enough credit. Because when you look at all these artists, really, really good artists, Nick Cave's name comes up all the fucking time.
1: Yep. Yeah, Nick Cave is brilliant. He's, uh, I love Nick Cave.
0: hmm
1: we, We'll get to Nick Cave at some point on our on our little podcast here. Yes, we will. But so, yeah, so the album didn't really do anything after it's released. It was just out there, but it got, <laughs> he says in his book, well, he's got better reviews than anything the Screaming Trees ever put. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also noted, like, from what I can tell in the book, he's sober. When he writes this, he's like three or four years sober, which I thought he was probably fucked up when he recorded this, but that's not the case. I <laughs> he thought he given was. Even Juarez. <laughs> I, yeah. We'll talk
0: about Juarez.
1: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this album, <clears throat> it's simple and whatever, but it also is, Yeah, you said this when you listened to it and you messaged me, this is like the DNA of uh, acoustic grunge. Yes, 100%. This is the DNA of like what we would hear later on coming out of, you know, Nirvana's Unplugged. Uh, a lot of Alice in Chains. I can hear yes. a lot of this album influencing Alice in Chains. Yeah, this uh, to the point where Nirvana's Unplugged album, Dave Grohl has said that they wanted they this was used as a template for how they wanted their Unplugged album to be.
0: Yeah, and you know, I'm glad you brought up Allison Chains because there is a lot of Allison Chains on this album. Like, they owe royalty. <laughs> <laughs> Allison Chains owns royalty because I don't think you would have Allison Chains without this album.
1: No, if you listen to Allison Chains before this album, I think if you listen to like Facelift and then this album, and then you listen to Dirt, you can tell <laughs> it's very. Uh, Mm Lanigan-ish.
0: Very, very much so. Like, people owe him, like, yeah, uh, they, yes, yes, like, yeah, yeah, go on.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, so, the reason why I picked it again is, like,
0: this is a DNA
1: album. I like looking at the DNA albums a lot. It gives us a lot to kind of riff off of, too. It's also fascinating for me to kind of see where elements of popular music kind of like germinated from yes you, know, you and i were you know i think i know for myself i was too young when nirvana came out so i didn't really give a shit when never mind <laughs> like it just was not in my wheelhouse because i wasn't watching mtv
0: i was just being a fat kid playing video games <laughs> <laughs> so okay uh very different for me um because i had two older sisters that were very much in the mtv um and my sister the oldest one she was going into high school when like nevermind blew up and grunge came out and she was very much into that scene very very much into that scene so like i remember being around like like the genesis of 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 grunge even like you know smashing pumpkins first album all that stuff like i was really in it because i would go down to my sister's basement when she would get stoned with her friends and they'd be listening to to uh, a lot of grunge music at the time uh you know nirvana like i said smashing pumpkins um there's a few other bands um you know that didn't go anywhere um like uh, Catherine's wheel that kind of thing um so i actually remember when nevermind blew up and was just like holy shit like i i was i was listening to grunge when uh in in 1990 um pretty religiously
1: yeah see i my brother was listening to the chronic
0: <laughs> shit mm. like
1: that, like uh, yeah. hip hop. My brother like really went into hip hop, so grunge just passed me by. Like I, I remember like kind of uh, smells like Teen Spirit when it came up, but like it didn't hit me. Like I think I hit a lot of other people because I was just not attuned to pop, popular music. As mm-hmm. a kid. Like, I just listened to either what my brother was playing, which was again hip hop. He was really into hip hop. Uh, and my stuff, my dad liked, which was you know his seventies, 70s, 70s rock. So, so Nirvana and Pearl Jam, that wave. Like, by the time I'm old enough, and in my, I'm thirteen, and uh, what is it, thirteen and like ninety four, so, I, I just had no. Uh, I by that by the time I'm listening to music, I'm into like Nine Inch Nails and, uh, <laughs> revolting mm-hmm. cocks and shit mm-hmm. like that. so like grunge is Pat. i didn't start i didn't even really listen to nevermind until i was like 20
0: oh wow see yeah i remember when that first came out so um musically i had my oldest sister who was very much into the grunge um uh the uh, uh even and and a lot of the um college um indie rock that was going out at the time you know like uh rem Ten Thousand maniacs all that stuff so she was like really into alternative rock grunge um, that type, that whole scene that my other sister was in the fucking show tunes and, um, and, and, and movie soundtracks, um, uh, like Bette Midler and shit. Like, I can't, like, I, 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 I it would be really weird. Like, cause. I, I my room was upstairs, and you know I was the last one to be able to use the rest, you know, the bathroom to get ready for school. So my oldest sister got it first. So I'd be listening to you know, it'd be going from like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, um, you know, to um, Natalie Merchant and REM, and um, then my next sister would come in, and I'd be listening to the fucking Grease soundtrack and <laughs> and, and, and Beaches soundtrack and. Um, this really, you know, poppy Madonna, like, like really poppy stuff. And then, you know, I'd, I, you know, I'd get in there and I had like my weird Al tapes and my Ray Stevens stuff that I was a new, cause I was weird as a kid. And then my dad, he was into Phil Collins, Moody Blues, um, that style Elvis. And then my mom, she was into Alice and Chase. I mean, not Alice and Jane. Um, she got into the grunge, but she was in like Alice Cooper, ACDC, Aerosmith, um, you know that '70s, '80s rock. So I had like a really weird eclectic music uh, growing up, um, and it was really schizophrenic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that's good. I think you know having that kind of different, you know, exposures really like forms kind of like your music taste. <laughs> and like I said, like I was, it was, you know, NWA and EZE and. Public see, Enemy, and then you know ninety whatever the chronic came out, and that you know Snoop Dogg, Death Row record shit, and, and then my and, dad's classic rock,
0: <laughs> right? And you know, see, so for me, I, I think where, where I you got into the hip hop and the gangster rap and that whole vibe, a movement that was stuff I didn't get into until I was about 15, 16, and even, like, into our late. And, like, I remember going back and listening to NWA years after it came out and being like, holy shit, and listening to the Chronic, you know, when the second Chronic came out. And, um, you know, so I missed a lot of that, like, going back. And, like, the little exposure I did get was my mom liked Walk This Way, Uh, the Aerosmith and um, uh, what's Run DMC. Yeah. Um, that was like that, that right there was the closest to ever having any kind of, um, urban music in my household. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we both had very strict, but like, again, so grunge didn't impact me. And I, I remember, uh, in like 96, I remember screaming trees did have a video and I thought the song was good, but like, that was about all my exposure to, to, Mr. Lanigan in his career and then you know listening after he passed like there's a lot of good shit and again like more interesting than this album this album is like you know a guy dipping his foot in the water of songwriting mhm mm-hmm. but you know for what it is it's all right
0: <laughs> well it i would it's good I, when it's good and it's boring when it's boring <laughs> i would compare him to being the Slick Rick of the grunge world. Yeah. Uh, um, You know, Slick Rick, I I don't know people, I mean, a lot of people when I I say Slick Rick, I get a glazed over look like, who the fuck are you talking about? Um, Slick Rick is probably the most um, sampled um, um, hip-hop artist of all time uh, and really laid the groundwork for what is and has become modern And I think Slick Rick, honestly, his legacy is maybe even a little bit more because I think even to this day people are ripping him off um, and taking his stuff, but I don't even think they know it anymore. Kind of like how people don't realize, you know, like uh, the Parliament Funkadelic and how a lot of like Snoop Dogg and those people took from them. Um, But whereas I know Grunge isn't really much around anymore, but you still hear the influence of this album and what it did. Um, There's a lot of times I was listening to this and I was like, you know with a little bit more production value yep. this would have been the definitive grunge album of all time
1: yeah i agree <clears throat> a little more better production a little more focus on the songs i think mm-hmm. but again this is like this was a one off for sub pop mm-hmm. sub pop at this time like uh was really promoting like all these other bands and didn't even think twice about lanagan or <laughs> ironically nirvana they did they didn't think nirvana was gonna amount to anything
0: yeah probably their biggest mistake <laughs> um, huge and and i will admit i'm a big sub pop fan like i actually um I, I don't subscribe to a lot on youtube i subscribe to their channel on youtube i really really enjoy the music that sub pop has put out throughout the years and oh yeah,
1: sub pop is great like and you know they put out i mean like like this early wave you know uh Fuck, they had so many good, like, Soundgarden, I think they had, like, mm-hmm. one album on mm-hmm. something. I could be wrong. Uh, fuck. Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure semi- you're right. Yeah, Mark Arm's band, was it, Mud, Honey. Mud, Honey, Mud Honey. another band that I really enjoy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, this was, for them, it was different.
0: Because <laughs> this it, was,
1: like, not, like, Grunge was, like, at the time was, like, fast and loud and you have like chris cornell vocals or eddie better vocals like you know it really like this album just kind of slowed it down and did something kind of different that those other bands kind of just either subconsciously or consciously like just sucked into their their sound
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm, yeah yeah I, I mean people I, I don't i mean i and i i would i would encourage you Yeah, our garden was was on there i i, I mean they had they had sleeter kinney for christ's sakes yeah. <laughs> on on sub pop i mean sub pop was I, we should do a i would love it one time you and i should t- sit back and just you know maybe one day rather than doing an album and, and not now but do a podcast ab- uh, about sub pop because that's so eclectic what they did um but yeah, anyways, we're we're digressing and I apologize.
1: <laughs> yeah, so let's let's talk let's get into the album, Paul.
0: You wanna do us uh, track by track? We could do track by track, that let's is just track fine. By track.
1: It, okay. It's not a long album, it's forty minute long album. Yeah, it's
0: album. a very short album.
1: Very short, uh, but yeah, again, it was just it's kinda jarring that this was just like pop's so like, Yeah, okay, just do this and like they get this and you know people gotta remember this is 1990 we're still two years away from grunge blowing up yeah (laughs) yeah even though like 10 and never mind released in 91 they didn't start really selling until 92 and then by 94 95 the whole scene's done which is really like i think people like have like this weird nostalgia for grunge but it really had a small window (laughs)
0: <laughs> it was a very small window. It was a very small window. I would say, I mean, it was still going, but I'd say by '97, especially by '97, it was uh, it was it was in its death rattle. I mean, yeah, was, you had you had some artists coming out, but people have moved on from grunge because I remember, like our 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 freshman year in high school, people were doing the Kurt Cobain, um, even then, you know, flannel and all that stuff. And by our sophomore junior year, that was gone yeah, <laughs> yeah yep.
1: absolutely yep yeah so let's let's start it off paul let's start with mockingbirds which really kind of sets the tone
0: it it, it does sonically I'm- and vocally and lyrically so uh, I, again as i said you know and we've I, i've criticized a lot of so i'd be a hypocrite if i didn't criticize this the production is not well done i mean this is definitely feels like a demo album Yeah. um uh, real
1: you- diy i, I yeah, Very 1990 sub pop does not have a lot of money.
0: No, no, no. They hadn't blown up yet with a lot of their artists. They've had a few here and there, but their heyday was probably about what another six, seven years away. Um, and well, they know,
1: didn't start making money until Nirvana
0: blew up, and then Bleach started selling, and then Bleach started selling. Yeah, but but then they started really signing. I mean, it was, Nirvana made them some money, but it wasn't until a little bit after that they really started, like, trying to really um, uh, seek out bands that were, you know, more so being a little bit more picky about some of the bands they picked up. Um, so, um, or, you know, being like, hey, these guys are hits. Like, all of a sudden, they started just picking up amazing bands. Uh, so, yeah, Mockingbird, you know, and I'm glad you said that it was his learning uh, lyrics because lyrically this whole album is very, uh, I don't want to say uninspired or boring, but it's, you're, you're, I, again, I, I thought he was burnt out and like completely <laughs> fucked up on drugs. So he's writing these things. I'm like, okay, he's got fucking heroin brain. He's trying to come up with these <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> and I feel bad now that, you know, it's just like, no, he was sober. He just never did it before. So for a guy who never did it before, This is all right. (laughs) It's not bad. You know, if somebody had
1: me a guitar and said, do a solo album, like I'd be fucked. I wouldn't be able to put something out
0: like (laughs) this. Would you you still 10 grand and only make it for three, Joe? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, Mockingbird really. And like right away I heard in the first opening guitar notes to it, I can hear it. I'm like, that is Allison Chains. Yep,
1: yep. That's Straight what I was reading. That's uh, Sounds right out of dirt, like that's a demo amazing. from the Dirt album or Jar flies.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like I, I'm thinking to myself again. I I didn't put the time the, the year together, and I'm going, man, this guy really stole some people's stuff. And then you go, no, 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 no. This was three years beforehand, and you go, someone owes this guy money. <laughs> 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 yeah,
1: well Yeah, yeah. I think he got burned a lot, but he also I mean he had his troubles. Courtney Love actually helped get him sober. <laughs> after up. the after all this, like by the late night, so by the late nineties Lanigan was pretty much homeless. Uh crack addict, heroin addict, you know, just sleeping wherever he can get find a bed or the streets. <sighs> Yeah, like, he was like, you know, after, you know, because Screaming Trees never found fame, he never really made it with his, his solo career, so yeah, that's where he was, and then, you know, she helped him get sobered up, uh, he was just, uh, yeah, he was a mess, was, you know, he, he was the guy Cobain was calling the day he killed himself, and yes. he was so fucked I guess he was so like fucked up and just not wanting to deal with it, he refused to answer his phone. Are you serious? Yeah. And that's something like he kind of, re- from what I read, he's regretted deeply because oh. he was such a good, third, close friends, and but he was just like you know, he's an addict too, and he just doesn't want to deal. <laughs> oh god. Which, yeah, yeah, and wow. makes what matters worse. Like years later. Uh, he finds a friend in Anthony Bourdain. Oh, no! Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown, the theme song is, like, written and performed by Lanigan. Which I didn't know. (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Bourdain uh, was instrumental in Lanigan writing a a, a memoir. He really pushed it when he didn't want to. It was, like, one of his closest friends. And then, like, Cobain... uh, he lost another friend by suicide. Poor Lanigan. Fuck. Yeah, he, he had a he had a hard knock life, buddy.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and again, he's writing this shit before all the depression shit happened. Yeah, he's so writing
1: a- <laughs>
0: <laughs> This is because this well, is a downer. This is a downer
1: of a. Yeah, hour. well, his childhood was pretty bad. His mom was verbally abusive. His dad was a raging alcoholic. He was like, like I said, he was a drunk by like fourteen, fifteen. I mean good on him for finding
0: fame <laughs> and you know i mean well we'll we'll get to it when we get to some of the other songs but yeah so museum again you know it's it just feels like it's, it's like this could have been like
1: part of mockingbirds like i felt like these songs kind of went together
0: <laughs> that's what i thought
1: yeah and if he was yeah. more focused if it was more focused like, again he was pretty green songwriter so like like this felt like that. These two songs should have been combined to a stronger song. Agree. Uh, thank you for saying it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's where I'm. Undertow. I like the actual uh, the uh, the acoustic guitar on that. I literally one thing I do like is the acoustic guitar, even though it's simple and like sometimes just sounds out of tune. Like sometimes it flourishes, and it's another thing too because his buddies would come in. He would do the basic track, and they would come in and do the more f- finessing uh, little riffs. Yeah. Because he just couldn't, you know, he just learned, he picked up a chord book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, going into this album, you had to pick up, like, a chord book
0: and learn how to play chords. Oh, my God, that's hilarious.
1: And, <laughs> and good like, for him.
0: I mean, there's talent there if that's what he did. On, you know, picked yeah. up a chord book at three grand, came out with this. Fucking A.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it shows, like, you know, just, it's interesting. It's just, like, uh, just a green, pretty green songwriter. He's still like, fuck, I'm going to try. And like, he eventually develops into a better songwriter, but it's interesting, like seeing it happen, you know, like kind of like hearing it on record, like, I'm sure he didn't really care for this album, <laughs> like years later, like, ah, eh. ah. Eh.
0: Well, and you know, and I will say with undertow, that's really where I started to feel the, the, the Nirvana, um, Mm-hmm. um unplugged album was yeah. in this song I was I was like, wow and again, not knowing I was like, man this guy really really liked the unplug album <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh 1990're <We're> still four <laughs> years away from- uh, We're far away from for Kurt Cobain's funeral. okay all right yeah. by the way that's that that's what we called uh, me and my buddy Rick that's what we called. The unplugged album was the was was Kirk Cobain's funeral because it was like right before he died and had like all these flowers and everything. Yeah. When you look a back, of, like a, it's, a, you it's re- a funeral. Read
1: into it, like people, the set designers felt like he was setting up his own funeral. Yeah, and you know, the older I get, the more the less uh, tolerant I am of Cobain.
0: <laughs> agreed. agreed. Like I just
1: at this the point it's like he was just a whiny little bitch
0: <laughs> the the you know uh, supposedly and again i'm gonna get off track here supposedly a guy that that i that we, uh, i hung out the java joint a lot um supposedly a guy that we hung out at the java joint with knew kurt, kurt cobain for about six months when he lived in seattle um before he got famous and said that he couldn't stand being like he eventually stopped taking Kurt Cobain's calls and like hanging out with him and shit because he couldn't put up with his whining. Like, I guess he was just a really according to this guy. Again, I don't know if it's true or not. Cause, you know, people make up stories all the time. But he said that Kurt Cobain was this kind of this really entitled dude that when he didn't get his way would throw, with throw throw tantrums. And he said he it would, it would happen like when they would go out and get something to eat, like someone fucked up his sandwich. He would throw a fit. And he's just like, eventually I just had to stop hanging out with the dude. And he's like, little did I know this guy was going to become super fucking famous.
1: Yeah, but, you know, there's only so much of that bullshit you can handle. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have been able to tolerate that either. Right, right,
0: right. You know, so,
1: and, you know, you read up on Kobe and he was just a whiny little bitch. And-
0: <laughs> right, right, and this is why I somewhat believe this guy because this was years before we, you know, all the stories came out. Like this is still when everyone was glorifying him, like as this rock god that died. And this guy's going, you know, he wasn't really that good of a dude.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I read some Buzz Osborne uh, <laughs> interviews where he he was friends with him, but he's he doesn't shy on like pointing out <laughs> how insufferable Cobain could
0: be at times. Yeah, so let me get Ugly Sunday I like Ugly Sunday, actually I like this song a lot I really liked it, and it really reminded me of like uh, An updated
1: version of uh, Sunday Morning Coming Down by uh, Chris Kristofferson and Johnny Cash Kind of, but like Yeah More yeah. twisted it was, like, I, If that song was written by uh, Charles Bukowski <laughs> Oh, I
0: didn't know that uh, I did not know that Yeah, no, I, I also felt lyrically This is one of the more stronger songs Where I felt like he had more to say on this one, Uh, Mm -hmm. like I felt this was a more insightfully lyric lyric lyrically.
1: Feels like he's more opening up and kind of using his own yes experiences for a song, where instead of just writing songs for writing a song.
0: Mm Hmm. Um, But
1: yeah, that was that was a highlight. I noted for for down
0: in the dark, it was more of a rock song. uh, Yep, and features uh, Cobain on vocals okay i thought so i i, I knew he's on a different song i i was like man either cobain is on this or he could really nail curb Curbain. so i'm glad that uh you yeah. i don't know if he could that.
1: nail the cobain voice but he <laughs> really has like more of a, a leonard cohen tom
0: Waits thing going. kind of kind of yeah okay yeah All right. yeah
1: it's, it's, it's a fine song uh
0: Wildflowers, I like a lot. I like a lot. I like Wildflowers a lot. Yeah, this is, I think, if not one of the strongest tracks on the album. It's my favorite song on the album. Okay, then, okay. I mean, not that I have to agree with you, but yeah, I I feel like this was like... (laughs) You must agree with me! I must must agree with you! Otherwise, no soup for you. Um, (laughs) Yes, yeah. This is a great song, just lyrically, uh, sonically. I feel like this is the one that Got the most attention. Yeah.
1: And then, unfortunately, it's followed by Eyes of a Child.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. that's not I, a great...
1: I this, is this the, I hate the concept of, like, Eyes of a Child. It's, it's such a cliche writing thing. Again, mm-hmm. he's a newer writer, so... You know, I'm not going to dig on him too much, but this is like... You know. Yeah. It's, it's cliched. Yeah, yep. we get it because the Eyes of a Child are innocent.
0: Yep, yep, you, you you're not you're you're the umpteenth million person saying about that. Yeah. Um. Uh. So next we get the winding sheet, which is interesting that that's the one they pick as the title track to it. It's the, one of the longer songs if I'm if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, it actually kind of re- sounds more like a Tom Waits song to me you, than anything else. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it it doesn't really match much, but. Lyrically again, I liked it so, I mean you know some ways it was okay, but not as strong as wildflowers in my no, opinion.
1: Wildflowers for me is the highlight. wildflowers yeah. and ugly Sunday. Yeah, and we'll get into the other ones.
0: We'll get into the other ones. Oh yeah. Whoa, yes. I, I liked whoa. I like whoa. Yeah, I like
1: the the cyanide and nicotine, you know filling mm-hmm. themselves up with poisons
0: yeah or, or i like the i'd rather be drunk than dead or go where jesus floods so i'll get drunk again or maybe not like, i love that yeah he has like moments where he shines lyrically on this album uh,
1: yeah i'm trying i gotta where is it uh well the, uh, well, the wildflowers of my mind is an open door with nothing inside i like that Hmm. uh you know, or is it the line, I forget which song is it. but he's like, you know, can't kill him, but are, they're already dead. But, like, I don't, I don't blame them for trying. Yes, yes, yes. Like those, like, those little play with lyrics, I think. He's starting to, like, you know, again, this is like a Genesis-type album where he's starting to find his way. And I think he's he's finding his way with the words of that mm-hmm. here. Uh, he's just not confident enough to go all in.
0: No, no. Um, next we get 10 feet tall. Okay, so... Funny story about ten feet tall. I don't know if you had the same experience I did with it, but maybe you did. Um, I'm listening to it while driving, and I went, "This dude's a racist." Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. 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 Because yeah. I mislead the lyrics and going, "Well, come on, black kids sing," and I'm like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. And then I had to go back and look at the lyrics. I'm like, I'm not comfortable with this. And then I'm like, Black Cat. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, no, when the first time I heard it, I just, like, my heart sunk. And I was like, oh, fuck, we're canceled. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. You know, the 90s, 1990 people
0: weren't woke. <laughs> <laughs> well be, you know, No they weren't wrong But I mean again I miss it As black yeah. kids sing And I was yeah, like Yeah instead of black cat <laughs> Yeah instead of black cat And like I said The first time I was listening to him I'm like whoa And I actually almost pulled over And I pulled up the lyrics I was like The fuck is he saying <laughs> <laughs> Yeah From what I can tell In his book He's not a fan of Conservatism So <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And, and, shit like and, and when you look at it, like, you know, Black Cat, you know, being, you know, again, the yeah. omen of what a Black Cat is and what it represents, yeah. it makes more sense. Like, and it also, a, yeah,
1: and it really just because this album feels dark. Mm hmm. So he has a lot of imagery, like a Black Cat and shit, where yes. it dark. I mean, it's this album dark. just feels. It's unrelentingly dark until you get to Juarez. And <laughs> it, we'll get to that because there's a funny story for that
0: so one. So I, I'll all because we got a lot to talk about with that one. Um, but real quick with, uh, uh, what, what, what you know, as you're saying with it being really dark. So, again, I'm listening to this album. I listened to this album a lot because we got behind a week. And I'll be honest, I really wanted to be – Uh, sure of what songs sounded like what because there's a lot of one of the things we complain about or i complain about is things sounding the same so Mm -hmm. i was getting some of the songs yeah like uh wait which song was that again that sounded like that so i listened to this album way too much yeah it also
1: repeats the 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 riff from mockingbirds occasionally Mm -hmm. throughout songs almost like a a running theme Yeah, yeah i don't think he was like uh disciplined enough (laughs) right so i don't know if it was even intentional on his part he just like i like that line so let's keep doing it here
0: (laughs) that's yeah i i don't think there was a lot i don't think it was meant to be like a like a concept i think it was i mean knowing that he just picked up a guitar and did it he probably was like i like the sound of that so i'm you know i'm gonna do a variation of it but it really wasn't a variation because he wasn't astute yeah, enough to do it yeah, he wasn't disciplined at he all. wasn't disciplined at all um but um yeah this this album really fucked with my mood
1: <laughs> yeah it's 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 dark It's a lot of dark themes it's a and very dark and, album. Uh, this it, i don't know it feels like he has some demons paul <laughs> um well we got where did you sleep last night joe <laughs> yeah so th- so my buddy turned me on to this album like uh Seven years ago. And when I got to this, I was like, son of a bitch, Nirvana ripped this guy off. Because mm-hmm. this is this exact same arrangement from Nirvana's Unplugged. And the exact same v- lyrics, which is like the lead belly cover. There's always. It's weird because when you hear lead belly covers, especially of Where You Sleep Last Night, there's always. People are always dicking around with the lyrics, taking uh, liberties with it, and changing them. Mm hmm. So, like, when you hear an exact same reference of "Where did you sleep last night," it's kind of it stands out. And then I found out that Chris Novoselic and Kurt Cobain are, actually play on this, and yeah. they just used this arrangement on the Nirvana Unplugged. Which I think this is—I like the Unplugged version more, but I like the bass on this. I like how mm-hmm. it's
0: more—it's
1: more it's, the bass and the drumming on this whole album are just. For a slow acoustic album, are kind of punishing and nice. uh, intimidating. Like it's really like a weird dynamic
0: for an acoustic album. Very, very.
1: But it is. It's very. <laughs> it's very menacing. Bass or so like boom, boom boom boom. And I also kind of like that simplicity of like you
0: know you really don't hear a
1: lot of the guitar on it.
0: No, and and I and I will say that uh, again. You know, we we've criticized Cobain quite a bit, but. But because he's a he, chucklehead, Paul. It's because he's a chucklehead. But the guy could sing, and the guy, I, I mean, comparing the vocals of Mark to Kurt Cobain, there's really no comparison there. Yeah. So you know, and I, you know, and you, well, tell the story that you told me about the unplugged version.
1: Well, I don't know if that's true. I came across okay. the thing, but rumor has it they wanted Lannigan. Because they had uh, the Meat Puppets played on the Meat Puppet songs that were covered. Yep. Uh, another interesting story is like when the Meat Puppets played Electric Fetus when I worked there, and they played. So they're they're really cool guys. So I, rumor has it they wanted Lanigan, but he was so. The thing is with heroin junkies, or junkies in general, people are are addicts. I think junkies are pretty derogatory, so I apologize. Mm-hmm. Addicts in general are often afraid of how they're going to get their next fix. Oh uh, yeah. So apparently, he did not want to go to New York because he wasn't sure how he, where he would be able to score heroin. I don't know if there's any validity to that because I'm pretty sure he would have easily found heroin in New York. It might have been he just didn't want to do it.
0: Well, and I can, I mean, and I know people. I mean, we we both known people who are full blown addicts, and I know people that are heroin. Addicts. We went to school with a couple of heroin addicts. Yeah and um uh luckily uh, the the at least what I have what I've known throughout the years she's now clean and having a really good life but um um i could imagine even not even wanting to be on a plane and yep. worried about you know i mean going from your know, one place to next you know hours on the plane and not being able to to score i could see yeah, where you would not want yeah yeah i mean yeah, I mean, going from New, you know, wherever California to New York, or you know, Oregon to New or Washington to New York, that's not a that's not a. I mean, in 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 the realm of us being on a plane, it's not that bad. But in the realm of being an addict on a plane, that's a long fucking time. Yeah, especially if you can't
1: bring your, your
0: drugs on there. Yeah, you. yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: so I could see that too. Uh, his book starts. The book I'm reading, his memoir starts. He's getting busted by cops in the late 90s in Seattle. And the, his number one concern isn't, like, whatever. His number one concern is he hadn't shot up since the morning, and he's afraid he's going to start withdrawing while he's yeah. in the jail. So, like, that's his biggest concern, because that's the most painful thing he can go through.
0: hmm hmm yeah. Oh, so, oh, dude, I, I... Everyone, uh, yeah. like, I'm just... Yeah, you it's don't think a vicious vicious drug. I thank God every day that I'm afraid of needles. Uh, me too. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> me too.
1: Like I quit like when I got my vaccine, I couldn't even look when they I can't. Looked. No.
0: No, I've had a couple of surgeries and like when they put the IV in, I cannot look.
1: Oh, um
0: I- oh no it's they it's draw the blood
1: i can't even oh, look
0: i oh. can't nope nope i have to look the other way when they draw blood and which which is ridiculous because i love you know you and i both love our horror our gore or that type of thing but when i know it's real it bothers me to my core
1: there um like needles in movies like that the
0: heroin scene in pulp fiction still has oh. the willies just because i hate that shit and and record for a dream was so difficult for yeah. to watch yeah, it's, it's so difficult for me to watch. So, but
1: for many reasons, that movie's difficult to watch. Oh, it's fuck. not a, it's not a summertime blockbuster <laughs> where you just <laughs> no, watch.
0: On numerous. No, I, I tell people, I'm like, I will never watch this movie again. But if you haven't seen it, you need to see it the one and only time. Yeah, um, it's
1: worth, it's
0: worth seeing. But
1: it's such an uncomfortable movie.
0: Yeah, they're like, ass to
1: ass.
0: oh God, oh boy. Oh. Kudos, Jennifer Connolly deserved an Oscar. Um, but back to this version of the song. Yes, you could tell that this is. But when you listen to it uh, on um, uh, the Unplugged, you can really tell that Cobain has probably been shopping it um, and work, excuse me, workshopping it for a long time.
1: Yeah, they it was part of Nirvana would play it live every now and then, but they would play it electric, which was weird. I've heard electric weird. covers of them doing it.
0: Interesting. I'll have to check that. Out. I haven't heard that, but I yeah, I mean if if it was this version with with I mean if it was like this this version with Kurt Cobain's lyrics on it, I think that'd be the definitive version personally.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'd be interested in to hear an unplugged in another universe, the, unplugged with Cobain and Lanigan singing this said unplugged, both of them like fuck out of their minds on
0: I couldn't imagine. I couldn't It'd imagine. Well, that
1: would probably be the definitive version. And some universe has it. Fuck them.
0: And and we don't we don't get it because we live in the darkest fucking time. Yeah,
1: we life. got the dumbest time.
0: We here. really do. We got fucked, dude. I don't know what we did in, in all of our previous lives or what we've been doing to get Pushed down the darkest timeline But <laughs> apparently I'm a fucking bastard um, a So Joe Next week at Juarez <laughs> Juarez yeah
1: So in this book Lanigan talks about this uh, the, You know
0: because they're recording this
1: album And you know it's really Dark and heavy and it's got like These you know ideas and Concepts and this v- Feel and then One day in the studio This guy's like dicking around on a I don't know, like a keyboard or something. <laughs> and starts he just starts riffing off it, and that's where Juarez comes. And they did the guys working on the album with him were like, "Wait, what?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna put on the album." And they're like, "Dude, whoa. you got this like beautiful dark little album. Why are you gonna put like this the song on?" it? he's basically. He's, I needed some levity.
0: His
1: <laughs> <That's, laughs> album's dark. Let's have a little moment of, like, even in his dark, twisted sense of humor, it's still, like, a funny song, even though it's, you know, talking about shit in your pants, because you're going to be on the nod from heroin, which,
0: you know, is a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, if you watched, um, you know, what happens is is that heroin backs you up. And... um. You know, when, you, when you when you've been shooting up for a long time um so i worked i worked at a i worked at a gas station uh in in, in the hood and um we had a guy that um um would come in uh who was a notorious uh heroin user and he would keep an enema in his back pocket and he would come in and use the enema um, because yeah, I mean, you get backed up and then what happens is, is you see it on train spotting when, when Spud passes out and wakes up and the heroin has gone through his system, he hasn't shit for days. So it just comes out. Yeah. Um, and so, but I also have a feeling that there's a way more this song that we didn't get. And he yeah. was like, he was like, um, nope, I went too far with some personal lyrics and we can't have that.
1: Yeah. I feel like it too. I feel like there is, you know. This was a longer song, but they they condensed it into, like, a more (laughs) not-as-fucked-up version.
0: Well, because, you know, it starts to cut out where you're a preacher's daughter, I'm a bastard's son, and you can tell that he was about to say, or they they cut it off, and he's saying more shit, and I'm going, oh, someone got personal. (laughs) Someone got personal in their lyrics and was like, "Uh, we can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then you get Love You Little Girl, which is a great way to end the album. It's basically a full-on acoustic song. There's not a lot to it other than the acoustic guitar, from what I remember. Yeah. Um, Lyrically, it's very boring. (laughs) Yeah
1: it's fine to end it on that i mean if you had it on more as i'd be pretty
0: fucked up <laughs> that, that would be pretty fucked up but again it reminds me of okay so that's the preacher's daughter i want to know more about the story of more yeah like, whoa, whoa let's wind this back here now. Yeah, hang on because i did i cranked it up to see if i could hear any more of it but they cut it off but yeah i was like fuck i want to know more about what he was saying i'm really <laughs> interested you got me sold on more buddy um yeah <laughs> Um, overall, a, a short, a short album, a good, you know, as you said, DNA album. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, you know, that's my thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's an interesting album. You find the DNA, um, you know, a lot of the grunge that came would come after. Like this is kind of, uh, you know, the precursor to what was going to explode in a few years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, unfortunately, he didn't get to really reap a lot of those rewards, but... No. He's still, like, man, he made some really interesting music after this, like, uh, after he leaves Screaming Trees. I mean, fuck, he's, like, in Queens of the Stone Age, he's on, you know, Rated R, Songs for the Deaf, and Mollabies to Paralyze, which are, like, solid run of Queens albums. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. You know, like, he's his solo album's, like, Bubblegum, like, I sent you, like... I'm like, after you listen to this album,
0: listen to the listen to methamphetamine blood, yeah. which, which is like fucking bonkers. <laughs> yeah. So what? I, I guess he was also involved in uncle. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know he was involved in uncle. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. He was like, it's weird where he just kind of like ends up, you know, and it's not like Seattle grunge stuff all the time. Like,
0: you know, he did the. With uh, Isabel Campbell from Bell and Sebastian, and that's a beautiful album. That's crazy. Album. That's crazy. You would not think him and, and 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 Bell and Sebastian. You would not.
1: No, but it, and it, they did this album is fucking great. That's it's amazing. A beautiful album and like, yeah, like again, did, <laughs> Moby and Chris Christopherson. You're like, what the fuck? Like he was that's- very prolific and very just like like his music gets way more interesting than this, than this, you know, this is like a guy just starting to learn to write a song.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's it, that. I mean, that, that, that's nuts to me. That's yeah. I, I do have to get, check out that book when you're uh, you know, I'm going to have to check out that book cause I do want to know more about him because that's fascinating to me. That is absolutely yeah. fascinating. And he was doing music up until the day he died. Yeah.
1: And he wrote a memoir. So he got COVID and they put him in a, a coma induced or a, they put him in an induced coma Christ. because of the, to fight COVID. And when he woke up and was recovering, he wrote another memoir while recovering.
0: <sighs> oh my God.
1: Told, yeah. Yeah. Like this is a guy just like, he always very creative, always looking for a creative uh, way to uh, express himself. And that's just like, just impressive to me like i i appreciate artists like that who are aren't afraid to take risks and this album even though we've talked you know it has it's a lot of it a lot of flaws it was a fucking risk yeah <laughs> Like I mean, I mean like not financially or anything but i think ego wise because when mm-hmm. you're a creative person and something flops that can easily just derail your
0: uh, we, we've we, we've seen it a uh, many times we've talked about artists with that in within this podcast itself yep where that album you know destroyed their ego yeah absolutely absolutely
1: this guy yep. just kept going just kept doing it Jesus
0: so Joe, would you recommend this album
1: yeah I would recommend it it's it's, it's not the best like you said it wasn't it's not the best album we've reviewed but I it's an interesting. On a couple of levels, it's interesting in that it's, if you want to kind of see where the, a lot of the influence on grunge kind of starts, this is probably where you should start.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) And it's also interesting, like, seeing a guy starting a songwriting career like that just like how it germinates and just and seeing what he does later on it's it's just for that's interesting And it's not a bad album either it's it has his moments where it really shines for me
0: like wildflowers
1: that was such a good song it's
0: a good song it's a good song yeah wildflowers is a good song um i i'm gonna say no with a caveat and and hear me out um that I would say listen to some of his later stuff first and then go back and listen to this because as you and I have talked about, you know, with other things, I, I, we personally love DNA albums. I could see where some people, this is their introduction to him might not. And again, unless you're like, again, with me, like music and you and I with music and history, right? Like Mm -hmm. when I got in the Pink Floyd, the first album I bought, was Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Then I bought Sassabro Secrets. Then I bought more. Like, I went chronologically through. Which,
1: for other people, would probably make them never want to
0: listen to Pink Floyd. Right, right. But for me, I really enjoy that journey, right? Like, I enjoy seeing where a band starts out and where they go. So that's you. Then, by all means, yes, I recommend starting with with this album. But as you and I have talked about, too, there are better albums that he's put out that I I think,
1: yeah, I would start with bubble gum if I was going mm-hmm.
0: to that, yeah.
1: one, that one's just phenomenal. PJ <laughs> yeah. Harvey
0: on it. It's that's amazing. Great. I love PJ Harvey. I do. I love PJ Harvey. She, she
1: does uh, Hit the City with him, and that's such a good song. So,
0: so yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in that regards, I would say check out some of his later stuff and then go back and listen to this. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you listen to this and went, well, I really want to hear, like, what they're talking about, like, with being, like, you know, you know that that the that stone, um, that and chains ripped them up, and you know that they did this and that then yeah listen to it but honestly like f- like looking at it from a critical standpoint i can't really recommend it outside of for curiosity's sake if that makes sense yeah
1: i agree
0: yeah yeah yeah. Cool. yeah so all right joe well um awesome pick on this album i'm really glad you did that sorry we had the mix up these last two weeks of trying to get this done um <laughs> So, no, it's not that you guys are missing an episode. It's that my schedule fucked us up. Um, so, Joe, plugs. What do you got going on?
1: Uh, the Joe down. Uh, we're switching gears. We're not doing Predator 2. Uh, uh, in a few days, the Batman review will be
0: coming. Ooh, I want to go see that movie so bad.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, it's. Uh, I think Brown took a... Because I was just like, when he's like, yeah, I saw it's it pretty good. I'm like, yeah, I liked it when it was called Seven. <laughs> <laughs> Stay back.
0: John Doe was the upper hand. <laughs> What's, in the What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Yeah, I, I heard it's more of a detective film than it is a superhero film. Which so makes it
1: a lot more entertaining for me. Yeah. I, liked, I liked it a lot more. It's, it, was, it was good. It was just... You know, it wore its influence on its sleeve like Joker did with Scorsese. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and and I will say that was one of the things I like more about um, the Dark Knight, the, the, the Batman, you know, the, the Christopher Nolan one was it felt like there was more of like a detective story there than it was like all this over the top superhero stuff that you see like with the Marvel Universe. Um, I felt there was some, you know, kind of grounding in terms of like him trying to solve this and what was going on I And mean, granted, yeah you, yeah, you
1: hadn't,
0: you had, you had the obligatory, you know, the, the obligatory s- superhero stuff. So I am really interested to see it as a, as a detective film. Um, so that's cool. I can't wait to, can't wait to see a review of that. Um, do you guys got anything planned after the Batman or n- not willing to give that away yet? Uh, bro hasn't given me his pick, so I don't. Okay. Know. All right. <laughs> And as of right now, probably until summer, this is going to be it for what I'm doing. I might add another podcast and might go back and revisit um, uh, the Stranger Things 1 once uh, Griffin's uh, got summer vacation. Um, See if that will work out. So, yeah. All right, Joe. You're going to ask me what what, what we're doing next week? What are we doing next week, Paul? So, I scared you. (laughs) I'm going to bring this up to the audience. So... I sent Joe a um, a Carpenter's version of a Beatles song. And Joe was like, dude, I can pull this out of my back pocket and ruin your day. <laughs> yeah. What did I send you right back, Paul? He sent me back Paul Anka doing, was it Nirvana? I think it was. Yeah, it like teen spirit. Yeah, it like teen spirit. So the reason why I sent that to you was I read an article where they talked about how the Carpenter's ruined... One of one of the Beatles' earliest heavy metal songs. And
1: I'm like... I actually like Karen Carpenter's vocals on that.
0: I like Karen Carpenter's vocals. I mean, but let's be honest. I mean, I've made us listen to some white music. We're not going to go there right
1: now. <laughs> no, like the cover itself, like I wasn't... It was perfectly fine. I've heard a lot worse Beatles songs. Plus, Karen Carpenter has a beautiful voice. So she know.
0: does. Karen Carpenter does. But in this article, they're like you know, like John Lennon said that this was one of the early roots of heavy metal, um, was Ticket to Ride, which I thought was weird. Uh, that, well, I not like to take credit for everything, so. And I'm like, that's not a heavy metal song, but in this particular article for the song, and I never heard that version of it, they're like, yeah, the Carpenters took everything that was, um, you know, that was subversive and dangerous in Ticket to Ride and, um, Made it completely boring and neutered. And <laughs> like uh, I would argue, the
1: right? was already boring and neutered to begin with. Uh, <laughs> let's I, I think people will overestimate. Like, I love the Beatles, but let's not overestimate. They're, they're, they They could have some schmalt They've had more. They had wider music than the Carpenters ever put out. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah. Yes. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, we're gonna do. Martha, my dear. Martha, my dear. Yeah, that's not a great, great song. Um, there's yeah. So, Joe, we're gonna do. Um, as I talked about, my oldest sister influenced me very much in music, and um, as I said, after doing. Fucking Pat Boone. (laughs) I needed some positives in my life. So we're actually going to go back even a couple years before Mark Lanigan. We're going to go back to 1985. And we are going to do the Dead Milkman's debut album, Big Lizard in My Backyard. Oh, cool. So I'm sure you're familiar with this album.
1: Yeah, I am.
0: I am. So I hope that our audience isn't <laughs> um, but this is one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, I as thought your album. favorite album of all time was
1: Cracked Rearview a mirror by Hootie and the Blowfish.
0: What if girls going on? Let cry. No. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> oh, I get it.
1: Pocketful of Kryptonite by the Spin Doctors. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Spin Doctors. Oh, my God. That was uh, that was the song uh, uh, Two... What was it? Two, two Tales, right? Two princes. two princes. Two Princes. Oh, my God. Okay, so real quick. Uh, I gotta tell you this story. <laughs> oh, here. Paul's got Paul's got a spin doctor story. <laughs> I, 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 not, not a spin doctor story, but along the same lines, a Delamitri story. Um, so years ago, years and years and years ago, there was a um, uh, uh, there was the Edge radio station that played a lot of um, um, not. It became kind of a rock thing later, but it was doing a lot of like the alternative college rock at the time, and they used to have this thing called Edge Capades. Where they bring in all these bands, like they brought in um, Blimp and uh, Ween and all these, you know, bands. Anyways, and they had a guy named Diaper Boy on the radio station that was that they'd make go out, wear a diaper, and interview people on the street.
1: That that man ended up doing the Steel Toe Radio Show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dude, me and him are already in a feud. Let's not.
1: <laughs> I don't know if you know that story or not, but uh, that's I'm aware. Nice. I'm aware, but you know, yep. like you yep. said like I'm taking your what you said. He started off as a diaper
0: boy. He started off as diaper boy, and then later I had to go on his own show and school him. But no, um, so um, they, um, Delmetri was playing, and they. People went into the bathroom and got toilet paper and were chucking it at them, Uh, you know, like, Booing them to get off the stage And so they did their one hit And got off stage <laughs> <laughs> And Diaper Boy went to dive off The fucking speaker And nobody would catch him No <laughs> oh,
1: wonder he started that Steel tail radio show <laughs> yeah, we, we, Not an you know, we... actual radio everybody It's a podcast
0: now <laughs> It is a podcast now He got kicked off the air Um, fucking... happened
1: to a nicer guy
0: No not a nicer guy Guy. Fuck that guy. That's another story for another time. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're going to do... And this is this was, I would say, my introduction into punk was this album. Um, this album was when I really first listened to punk. And like this made me realize that I needed to have way more punk in my life. Yep. And I listened to this album um, probably... I was maybe about four or five when I listened to this album. Yeah, I think because my sister got it a year or two after it came out. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, big lizard in my backyard, Joe. You there? there? Okay, you're there. All right, Joe. Well, do you want to take us out? No. This has been Rate That Album with Paul Muad'Dib and Joe Freming.